people. If you will, I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to Numbers, Numbers, the 13th chapter, Numbers, the 13th chapter, hold your place there. And then we're going to go over to Joshua 3, Joshua 3, Numbers, Numbers 13 and Joshua 3. Father, we love you and we magnify your name. And Lord, we are grateful for your goodness. We're grateful for your mercy. I pray, Holy Spirit, for your guidance in this service today. And that, Lord, everything may be done according, Lord, to your purpose and your will. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. We've been looking at the book of Joshua. And today we're going to begin to look at the inhabitants within our places of promise. Now, as long as we're in this world, we're going to have difficulty, we're going to have challenges, we're going to have to face those challenges, amen? You know, if you come into the kingdom of God as a child of God and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the availability of all of heaven's resources to live victorious. But it doesn't mean that there's not going to be opposition, there doesn't mean that there's not going to be an enemy that you have to face, giants within the place of promise. But don't get discouraged, be encouraged, because God is more than able. God is willing. And then God has brought about His Word, and many examples were given, or many of the the history of the Word of God was given for our example so that we can learn from that. We have been discovering that Jesus is not just in the New Testament, but Jesus is in the Old Testament. And we have, you'll discover him on every page of the book. If you will look close enough, you'll see that every covenant points to the covenant. Every sacrifice points to the sacrifice. Every victor in the old covenant is the victor that represents a facet of Jesus Christ. But we have discovered that the Ark of the Covenant represents and has always represented the presence of God in the, in, in the old covenant. But we see even deeper that the covenant or the Ark of the Covenant also represents and maybe a more clear depiction of what it represents is Jesus himself. He is our priest. He is our provision. He has fulfilled the law of God. And so when we see the Ark, we see Jesus here. And I notice here, now notice here in Joshua 3 and verse 9, and Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 10 of chapter 3 of Joshua. And Joshua said, by this, notice this, by this you shall know that the living God, not the dead God, church, but the living God is among you. That you will without fail drive out from before you that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Pezurites, the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourself twelve men of the tribes, and one man for every tribe. And it shall be come to pass, as soon as the soles of your feet of the priests who bear the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest on the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, and the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. Now, as we look at this, in the reference here in Joshua, we see as they carried the Ark of the Covenant in, as a portrait for you and I, that one day we would cross the Jordan into the place of promise. As, we, as they stood in the river Jordan, 
But Jordan stopped, and now it parted, it opened, and the waters were pushed back and stood, as the Bible says, upon a heap. The water could not flow against that. It was stopped. It was open. So the children of Israel could cross over out of the wilderness into the place of promise. Now, the New Testament reference to that is when Jesus went to the Jordan and John baptized him, the physical Jordan, you will discover, did not open. But what did open was the heavens. And the Father said, Behold my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now here we just read and discovered that God was showing them that when the Jordan is parted, because of the Ark of the Covenant, you're going to know that God has gone ahead of you and he will drive out all those inhabitants. Then you will go in and you will possess the land. And God will do that through Israel. Now we see the promise in the New Testament is the same. When Jesus began his public ministry, he went into the Jordan and because the heavens were open, it was a declaration to you and I that all the enemies that are in our place of promise have been driven out by God. Wow. Good stuff. Amen? Now, we're going to look at some aspects of these enemies in our land, in our place of promise. Now, the first one I'm going to talk about is the Hivites. The Hivites were there, and the Hivite is defined in Hebrew as a villager. They occupied, in fact, uh, that word Hivite comes from two words which mean life-giving, and it also means to listen, to give, to perceive by the ear, to hearken. Life-giving and to listen, to hear. The name Hivite is related to an Aramaic word which means snake. Now, if we look at this a little further, in fact, that word that means life giver is actually Eve, which is amazing. She was the mother of all living. And who deceived her in the garden? It was the serpent. Now, we find out that they worshipped a god, and that god, the Hivites worshipped a god, Baal Bareth, which is a word that means... Uh, in the Babylonian, which means to fetter or to bind. It's the same equivalent in the same God, Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies. So the Hivites actually occupied, and if you look up in ancient history, you'll find that the Hivites occupied the northern region of Israel. Before it became Israel, it was Canaan. They, in fact, they, they dwelled there on the base of Hermon, for the intent and purpose to cloud the vision of the children of Israel, to bring them into bondage through deception and through lying. Now, the Hivite for you and I represents a lying spirit, deception. How many know that we live in a land of deception? We live in a world of deception. We live in a land of lies. Now, as we look at this and we think about lies, what empowers a lie? Have you ever thought about that? 
What actually empowers a lie? Is it not belief? The same thing that empowers truth in our life is the same thing that empowers a lie in our life. And that's whether or not we believe it. If you believe a lie long enough, it becomes truth to you. But what do we need to believe? We need to believe God's truth. Because belief will be converted into action. And that action will then lead us in the direction either to God or away from God. When truth is acted upon, it brings forth freedom. Amen? When I act upon truth, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So when I take truth, and I believe it, and I apply it, and I receive it, I find myself free to live for the Lord. But what happens if I believe a lie? It's stated in that passage I just quoted to you. If I believe a lie, I'm not going to live in freedom. I'm going to live in bondage. I'm not going to be free if I live a lie. Now, as you see the Hivites, we'll discover, or you'll discover in chapter 9 of Joshua, though the Hivites occupied the northern region of Canaan, some of them had migrated south. And now they're at Gibeah. And they found, found out that Israel had conquered Ai and Jericho and, and the, the kings that are Og on the other side of the Jordan and how that God had destroyed the Egyptians. So they devised a plan. You'll find all of this in Joshua 9. So the Hivites devised a plan and they came over. See, Gibeah was just a stone throw from Ai. And Hivites, they came over and they told Joshua, the children of Israel said, look, they had their clothes all tattered and torn. They said, look, our clothes were new when we left our land. That's far, far away. And see our bread? Our bread is moldy. It was fresh when we left, but now it's moldy. So why are you here? Well, I, we want to make a covenant with you. In, in this covenant, is we, we found out that you destroyed all these other cities and you are going to destroy everyone. We want to make a covenant with you and we want to be at peace with you. Now, Israel made a fatal mistake in that moment. They did not, as the Bible said, inquire of the Lord. But they took what was presented to them. How many know a good lie is a lie that has a presentation that appears to be true? It, it, it looks good. If, uh, if the devil wasn't, a, uh, wasn't a, a, a good liar, he wouldn't be a bad devil. You know what I'm saying? So he never, presents, he never presents his lie as an unbelievable circumstance. In fact, Mark Twain said, you know what? Fiction is harder than truth because fiction has to make sense. Fiction is harder to write than truth because fiction has to make sense. So the devil will present the lie in front of you. Make it believable. And the challenge of the church is making decisions without going to God first. If you want to know truth, ask the one who wrote it. If you want to know what truth is, discover what God has in store for you. Because the presentation 
may be believable, but it may not be true. So Israel made a covenant, only to find out three days later that, oh yeah, we're not really that far away. We're just, you know, down the street. We're just right over here. Why'd you lie to us? I don't know, because don't want to die. <laughs> Let me tell you what the lie never wants to do. A lie never wants to die. <laughs> Lie doesn't want to die. It wants to live and live on so that you can be in partnership with it. Now, Israel had made a covenant, a treaty with the Hivites. Said, because we swore to God, we can't kill you. Next thing you know, the Hivites are being attacked. But they have been made subservient to Israel. Now, all of a sudden, Israel's got to go to their defense to protect them. What's the moral of that story? Anything you allow to serve you, you will end up serving. If you serve a lie, you'll end up protecting that lie. But I declare to you today this. God's original mandate still stands. Go in and destroy all the enemies that possess your place of promise. And I believe it's a day where we need to break treaty with the enemy. There's a misrepresentation on the side of the enemy telling you that you can continue in that lie and still be okay. Let me tell you, you're not going to be okay. And more importantly, future generations are not going to be okay because the Hivites were allowed to exist. You find out in Judges, they wooed the children of Israel away. They began to serve their gods because the Israel had an opportunity to drive them out. Now, with that said, Knowing the nature of the Hivites and the enemy that we're facing, I want us now to go over to Numbers, the 13th chapter. Numbers, the 13th chapter. As we look at Numbers 13, I want to look at the lies. I want to look at the lies that originally kept Israel out of the place of promise. If we can look at the lies that originally kept them out, it'll be the very lies that will potentially keep you and I from advancing and moving forward. If it worked before, it may work again. So I want you to look here as Israel goes and they spy out the land in Numbers 13. Let's begin reading here. Let's jump down to verse 28. Numbers 13 and 28. The Israelites come back, 12 spies go in, and they bring back the report to the, all the rest of the nation. Notice in verse, let's start back in verse 27. Then they took him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. This is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people that dwell in the land are strong, cities fortified, very large. Moreover, we saw the sons of Anak there. Those sons of Anak are giants. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell in the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we had gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. 
There we saw the giants, the descendants of Adam come with, from the giants, and we are like grasshoppers in our own sight. And we were in their sight. So all the children of Israel lifted up their voice and cried to the people and wept. And all the children of Israel complained to Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation and said to them, it, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. Only if we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to the land to fall by the sword and our wives and children become victims? Would it be better for us to return to Egypt? Wow. That's a foolproof plan, isn't it? I'm afraid of dying, but I'd rather go back and die. The lies that kept Israel out of the place of promise. Understand, this is my heart's belief. That if I will change what I believe... I will change what I see. If my perception is off, then my belief is off. In order to pursue the things of God, there has to be structure within a belief system that I have. A belief system in truth, not in lies. And so as we look here, what we notice is what kept Israel out of the place of promise could be the very lies that the Hittites, uh, the Hivites I should say, want to poison their mind with as they enter in to accept the circumstance as reality instead of pursuing God and his will. The first thing they came up with is the cities are too strong, they're too fortified, the enemy is too great, there's just no way that we can overcome the enemy. You think, shame, shame, Mr. Mr. Israel. We think that. Well, of course, God delivered them out of Egypt and brought them through the wilderness and supernaturally provided manna and water and quail. And all of a sudden, they get to the place of promise, and then they want to shrink back, and they want to go back to the place that they came out of. Shame, shame, Israel. It's easy when we're looking at somebody else, but let's turn our attention to ourselves. Let's, let, let's look at the Word and let, our, let the image of God's Word reflect back at us and let us discover that we live in a very trying time that Paul told Timothy. He said, in the last days, there will be perilous times. Times that are difficult to bear. Things that are, will be hard, almost literally be irksome to receive and to listen to. In fact, men shall be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They will have a form of godliness... But they will deny the very power thereof. Folks, I'm saying to you today, we face some enormous giants. Giants of agendas of the Antichrist that destroys the unborn and violates the very nature of relationships. A society that lives in a place where they worship the creature more than the creator. You can kill a cow and an unborn calf and go to prison, but you can legally kill a child as a choice. Those of you that have fallen victim to that, I don't relish those words that I just spoke to you. I will say to you as well, there is redemption and there is freedom and there's restoration in your situation. We have all fallen victim to the enemy, but what I'm saying to you today is we live in a world of perversion. We live in a world where the number one crisis in our nation today 
is sex trafficking. There would be no sex trafficking if there wasn't a market for sex trafficking. There wouldn't be young women being folded up and stuck in suitcases and thrown on the side of the road as garbage and trash. Yes, we face giants in our land. But when Jesus Christ came, he said, greater, John recorded this, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The enemy has always been greater than myself, my human flesh. I could not conquer him in and of myself. There is no way. In fact, I reverted to what my fathers reverted to and my grandfather reverted to, and that is self-destructive behavior. And I began to consume things and destroy things because my nature was not right. It's only after Jesus took up residence inside of my heart and I began to follow not my own lust, but I followed him and what he wanted and where does he lead me? He leads me out of the lies uh, into the promise. Uh, oh God, that's too big. It may be too big for you son, but it's not too big for me. And folks, this world has a lot of big problems, uh, but they're not greater than the God that we serve. So, the lie is, I can't overcome. The lie is, the problems are bigger than the promises. The problems are bigger than the promises. That was the lie that was presented to Israel. Here's the fruit. Here's the, it is a land that flows with milk and honey just like God promised. Everything that he said is there. But. But. I don't know about you, but I have personally fall victim to the but. Yes. I have been the butt end of the devil's joke before. I have fallen prey to the butt. Please don't hashtag that. And convince myself or fallen under the persuasion that the enemy, that the problems that I faced were bigger than the promises God has made. Has anybody in this house ever fallen victim? Not problem solving, but problem rehearsing. Just problem regurgitating. Through all of a sudden, the problem is paramount. And the promises begin to diminish and get smaller and smaller. Till next thing you know, you're living a lie. And you're saying that God's not big enough in me to accomplish. And his promises are not yea and amen, as he said. But his promises are no more because I'm going back to the place I came out of. And you turn and start moving away. Truth will never build the kingdom. I'm sorry. <laughs> But that left field where it goes. Lies will never build the kingdom. Lies will never advance the church. Why don't we have transformation in our churches today? And this is not a blight and I'm not throwing stones at the church. Let me tell you folks, half truth is still a lie. And if we're presenting half truth... Come in, get the love, get the love, get the love. God's a love, God's a good God, God's a good God. He's full of love, he's full of love. He's also full of justice. And there's consequences to sin.
He loved me enough to get me out of my pig pen. He loved me enough to wash me up. He loved me enough not only to shake the very foundation, but tear the walls of my prison house down. I'm not interested in looking like everybody else. I'm interested in looking like Jesus. I'm interested in looking like him in a church that brings transformation, in a church that brings revelation, in a church that causes people to come out of darkness into the marvelous light. So you can get offended at anything I tell you that may not be in agreement with where you're at. But let me tell you, I will not apologize for mis- for the word of God which stands truth and eternal. And if you are offended with the word, then you need to take it up with God. We have all fallen in that place. You find out as you read through the book of Joshua. There were those nations who had iron chariots and horses and armies, and they were absolutely resilient and insistent upon staying where they were at. And Israel left them there. See, the same lies that kept them out of the promise is the same lie that can keep us out of the promise of God in the promised land. It's when my problems become so much bigger than my answer. And my entire focus is upon the problem instead of on the promise of God. The word of the Lord tells me, and this is why we need to rehearse, we need to remind ourselves. Numbers 13, 31 says, we are not able. No, we're not. But God is able. For all the promises of God in Him are yes and in Him amen to the glory of God through us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Somebody walked in here today and you said, I cannot get through this trial. It's too much. It may be too much for you, but it's not too much for Him. And it's time you stop leaning on your strength and start leaning on the strength of God. I cannot forgive them. Then stop leaning on your forgiveness and start leaning on God's forgiveness. I can't love them. Let me tell you, you may not be able to, but you can love them through His love. The problems are there. But God's promises are greater. And if I believe that God's promises are greater, then I will take on the spirit of Joshua and Caleb. And I will pursue after God. Notice what they said. Our children, our children are the ones that are going to suffer. Our children are the ones that that we're trying to protect. So, we would rather die in the land of Egypt. This is the lie. This is the lie. Bondage is better than freedom for me and my children. I want to go back to where I came out of because bondage would be better than freedom. Church, let me tell you, it's not that I want to, it's that I have to. It's not that we need revival, It's we must have revival. There are no options other than going forward in God. 
There is no other alternative. God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't flip his politi- according to political climate that's out there. His truth is yea, and his truth is amen, and his promises are yea, and his promises are amen. And when he says to go, he doesn't mean to stall. He says he means to go. When he says to possess, he means for us to possess. The only way we can possess is we have to drive out initially the lies that the enemy wants to put on us. And I promise you, you going after God is the best hope that your children have of a successful future. And I cannot lay down the torch. I cannot leave it there for somebody else to pick up. It's my responsibility. I must take on the mantle of God and pursue the things of the Lord. You don't have a choice when it comes to the eternal well-being of our children. We may live in a compromising world filled with all kinds of demonic influence and they may be great, but oh my God, our God is greater than all of that. We cannot live in a place where we decide that bondage is just better to give them what they want on the weekend instead of going to church. It's just better that we don't, uh, we, we just go along with the flow of all the world and everything that the world puts in front of us. You just got to go with it. Says who? Says who? The liar, the high bites, for what intent? To destroy you and your children and your future generation? To stop the move and the flow of God in your life? Oh, folks, let me say to you, we need the transforming power of the Spirit of the Lord. We need the moving of the Spirit of God. We need God. We need some church get back in the upper room until the Spirit pours out so we can proclaim the truth of God and that God will open the hearts of children. We need a move of the Spirit like we've never needed Him before. And I believe, folks, as the promise has already been made, in these last days, God will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. I assure you... That we, as we look to the Word of God, we'd find out bondage is not better than freedom. Freedom is what God has given us. It is for freedom that Christ Jesus set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again with the yoke of slavery. Wow! If you set a prisoner free... I believe, folks, that we've got to get out of the institutional mindset. You put a prisoner in prison long enough, he's afraid of freedom. He's afraid of the structure. He's afraid of, he found security in the walls. He found security in the, the, the meals being passed to him or her. My concern is that the church is becoming institutionalized. And it's time that the spirit of freedom begin to rise up on the inside of us and say, I'm not going to live in bondage anymore to the lies of the enemy. My God is greater. My God is mightier. It's more than what I sing. It's what I know. It's what I believe. It's where I'm going. Because if I change what I believe, I will change how I see. I will change how I pursue. I will change how I worship. I will change my priorities. I will change it all if I believe. See, the Hivites have given us, and that's part of the challenge that we have. 
I've come to this understanding. You find out in the first chapter of Exodus, and first, second chapter of Exodus, that the more that the children of Israel were afflicted, the more they prospered, the more they grew. You find out in the New Testament how that persecution came upon the church. Did it stop the church? No. It caused of everything that happened in Exodus uh, happened in the book of Acts. Uh, the word of God began to spread out and the church began to grow. The enemy discovered the more I persecute the church in America, the more it grows. So instead of persecuting the church in America, let's give them prosperity. Let's just open wide. Here comes a choo-choo. Oh, look, I've got a napkin. Don't be offended. I know you don't like carrots. That's why I'm feeding you. I'm feeding you the sugar. Come on, sweet baby, eat this. Come on back now next week and we'll, we'll change your diaper and we'll put your binky in, give you a binky and we'll pass them out the door. You ever seen an army dressed in diapers? You ever seen an army with their arsenal carrying their binky in their pocket? Their pacifier? No. God didn't call you as babes. He's called you to stand up and be warriors for your family and for the kingdom of God. It's time, folks, that we understand it's not about me. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about future generations. I know I'm being a little bit facetious and a little bit honoring today, but you know what? The devil is more honorary than I am. And he's spoon-feeding, and he wants to feel your prosperity, and you get offended, you'll leave and not come back. And let me tell you, you might just miss out on the greatest thing God has in store for you because you wasn't willing to stay in the field and fight the battles to see what God was going to do. Let me say to you, freedom is much better than bondage. And the promises are much greater than the problems. And the God that we serve is not in shock and awe of the world we're living today. In fact, he predicted it. He told us that there would be in these last days perilous times. But he also told us and shows us there will be a remnant that will get up. And they will drive out the enemy because they learn from the mistakes and they understand the truth. And they believe in who Jesus Christ is. And they know because he stood in the Jordan, the heavens have opened and he has driven out the lies. Wow. My Lord, it's only 11 o'clock. Praise God. Man, we're just getting wound up. I can't figure out how to put my Fitbit on, on 12, so I'm, we're going to stick with 11, okay? Let me make an appeal to you. It's not going to be better for your children if you give up on God. It's not going to be better for your grandchildren if you give up on God. It's not going to be better for the world you live in if you give up. But it's hard, preacher, I know. I know with the constant, never-ending, relentless resistance that you feel. Believe me, I do. I do. I understand an enemy that doesn't fight fair. I understand the injustice to some degree but I will tell you, we have no choice. We have no choice. Chapter 14 and 2. Would that we 
had died in this wilderness. We believe the lie. We believe that we deserve, we don't deserve the abundance of God. We will not enter in if we believe leanness is better than abundance, ordinary is better than extraordinary, and comfortable wins out over courage. The thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But the Lord Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it more abundantly. It is the will of God that the church of Jesus Christ be free. It is the will of God that the church of Jesus Christ be an extraordinary, supernatural entity in the world. Who when you begin to pray, things begin to happen. When you begin to worship, God begins to move. When you begin to speak truth, it penetrates the darkness. And though you may not be able to see what's going on in the unseen, I assure you God's spoken word will transform people's lives. When we start to begin to believe in what we preach and what we teach and the words that we read, power begins to flow in the house of God. And we refuse the lies and we start walking in peace. The enemy sought to destroy my life because he was after future generations. So I lived in a mindset that I didn't deserve anything that was given to me that was good. That I was undeserving of the abundance of God, peace and rest and joy and prosperity, all those things. Drilled into me from childhood up from a demonic influence of a stepfather. Constantly berating, saying you're not You're not worthy. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. Playing little mind games here and there every day telling me how I did not deserve it. So it was difficult for me to receive good and to walk in that. Only to discover when my children came along, my beautiful wife, when they came along, it was my utmost desire to give them goodness. Don't you know that our Heavenly Father wants so much more to give us the goodness? Somebody walked in here and the Lord told me you would be here today. And you walked in with this mindset, you don't deserve goodness because all the bad that you have done, that you have sinned away your day of grace, that you are no longer deserving of the blessing and the goodness of God, that God can't use you. I will say to you, that's the lie from the pit of hell. And it is a lie that wants to, and a desire and a spirit to keep you out of the promises of God. But I'm declare to you the truth of God's word. And it says this, that the thief comes to kill, to steal, and destroy, but I have come, Jesus speaking, to give you life and give it more abundantly into your life. You do deserve through him the joys, the happiness, to lay your head down at night at peace, in rest, and, and to be restored the brokenness that you have in your life.